Hello, Heron. Hello, Tom. How are you this evening? Oh, really good. Just had a nice conversation with another interesting person, and now I get another one. Oh, very good. Very good. So what was the conversation about? Well, um, it, it, init- it started off about teaching ESL online because ah. um, this guy's doing it. He's teaching people in China. <clears throat> and I just wanted to sort of pick his brain about how he's doing it and what service he's using and a bunch of stuff. Turns out it's not – well, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contact some other people. and I miss teaching uh, English. I loved that. That was great fun. How many years did you teach English yeah, for? About 15. Okay. Yeah. And I yeah. guess in where, where you are in the world, there's no shortage of people that are uh, <laughs> no. looking to learn English. No, no problem. Uh, they're all over the place. It's just getting them to pay for it that's the problem. <laughs> I guess. I guess. And did you did you mainly teach Koreans, or did you teach all? all uh, I'd say probably eighty percent of my students were Koreans. The rest were Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese, Latin. Latin Americans, uh, a couple from Iraq, and you know, I've had people you know, in Eastern Europe. I've had people from all over, but you know, I'd say 80% Koreans and the rest all over the place. And your technique was teaching them how to hear? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I usually, I, when I started, I was just teaching regular ESL classes out of a book, you know, and but that's so boring. <laughs> and and uh i don't know i don't you know i don't know how i actually transitioned into uh, the speaking and hearing skills thing but that's what i ended up doing yeah so this was directly after your piano tuning gig or did they overlap uh let me think you know i haven't thought about this for years um now they probably they probably overlap cuz the es or the the piano tuning thing is something you can schedule and that was always daytime and the teaching was usually in the evening so uh, they probably did, although I can't recall. I was not a good piano tuner. I was glad to get out of that business. <laughs> but like I say, most people couldn't tell the difference anyway, so I didn't mind taking their money. You know, I mean, I made it better than when I got there, but it sure as hell wasn't perfect, you know. Certainly, certainly. Well, over the past week, I've continued. Sorry, we have a cat fight in the background, which probably adds some interesting local flavor. Um, since our last conversation a week ago, I've been going through more of your back catalogue uh-huh. uh, and have, have drawn up a, a series of topics that I want to discuss. I wanted oh to start. Boy, with... This is great. Thanks. <laughs> You're the well, ideal uh, interviewee, interviewer, whatever. Well, yeah, I straddle both, don't I? Yes. Yeah. So I, I think the idea of linguistics is, is interesting interesting and i have a number of stories relating to that but in terms of actu- in terms of actually formal linguistics is this anything that interests you or do you see yourself in more in the kind of avant-garde what no, i guess i'm we- interested no i've read quite a bit of uh, have you seen my bibliography Hmm. On the website. I've heard it referred to. Yeah, um, on the website under the gendo place there's a bibliography there okay and, and that uh, although I, I've, I haven't actually studied linguistics at college or anything, I have read quite a bit. I've read enough of Chomsky to know that I think he's nuts. Mm-hmm. I love his politics, but I hate his linguistics. Mm. <laughs> mm. Interesting. And, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, I should. I just don't see any practical. I really am interested in practical application, and and I I just don't see anything you can actually do with Chomsky's work. You know, I can't see how it could be. There could be any clinical epistemology growing out of his work. Mm. It's just all theoretical explanations for why stuff is the way it is, but not how can we change stuff or why should we change stuff or. Those kinds of questions, and we're both fans of Wittgenstein, aren't we? Oh God, yes! I just I just re-purchased uh, uh, philosophical investigations. I lost it somewhere over the, over the years. <laughs> yes, I, I have that. I have uh, the Principia. What else? Yeah, there are three works. What am I? What am I missing? Uh, what are you talking about? Wittgenstein. The, oh, the, the, um, oh, the the oh, the one that started it was the Tractatus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that I I couldn't get past page two of that, mm-hmm. and neither could he. Uh, Ten years later, <laughs> he, he thought the whole thing was a load of shit and, yeah. and repudiated it. Rightly so. I'm surprised it took him so long. <laughs> well, the constant reinvention is something that. Uh, a lot of people in his position face, you know, the, the ability to walk away from things yeah. and also his history, the First World War. I mean, the fact that he was able to kind of, I don't know, put himself, I mean, spending long periods of time with Bertrand Russell and these kind of things. I can just, <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you been to Cambridge? No. Ah. To actually see it on the ground gives a greater sense, I think, of these people. I mean, when I was in the UK, I lived in Wormslow, which is where Turing... Do you know Turing? Yeah. The Codebreaker? Yeah. That was the where he spent the last 10 years of his life, and it was not a university town, but certainly absolutely packed with eccentrics and strange little nooks and crannies. But Cambridge is similar. My first experience when I was four was that we went to Cambridge, and we were in this university bedsit which was just off and it was just a magical experience like a small child almost kind of harry potter I was just about to say, it's harry potter <laughs> very much so but uh, the thing is that when i i mean in australia you have i mean i don't want to say most australians but a large number of australians have a very negative impression about the uk and certainly that was my experience getting back to australia and i thought oh, i'll never want to go to the uk again but uh, no, Cambridge is a Cambridge is a truly uh, truly fascinating place, and you can just imagine these people uh, kind of pottering around in a in a you know I don't know the the ability just to completely lose track of the outside world is I think why these university towns are created, um, and certainly I got a sense of that with Cambridge. Mm, yeah. Have you done much travelling? Uh, Vietnam. <laughs> that, uh-huh. No. Uh, you know, I've never had much of an urge to. I'd, I'd love to, but I'd never put off anything today so that I could travel. Mm. You know, uh, uh, and again, I've always sort of lived, I've, I, you know, you talk about disengaging from the world. Well, I really have been pretty disengaged from the world mm. since I was 21. Mm. Uh, you know, like I say, I was a piano tuner, but I probably only worked five or six hours a week for mm. 20 years. So I've always been really poor, 
but I've always had lots of time <laughs> to do whatever I wanted. But, you know, the idea of, you know, like I haven't been able to go around to conferences and meet people that I'd like Certainly. to meet, you know, and, yes. and travel and all that stuff would be great. And I figured, I always sort of figured someday somebody's going to pay me to do that shit, <laughs> and I'll do it. It'll be great fun. Yes, it's just manifesting that destiny, which is the yeah. critical part, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, what well, does make a difference. But it's okay. Like I say I'm relatively satisfied well, I'm, let's just say I'm satisfied with my level of dissatisfaction. I can Fair live enough. with it, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. So did you get any off time in Vietnam, or were you there No, fully? two weeks. I spent one week in Taiwan and one okay. week in Japan. Uh-huh. And the rest of the time. I had an interesting revelation when I was in uh, Taiwan for a week. After about the third night there in the hotel, I found myself missing home. And home meant Vietnam. Mm. Weird, <laughs> you know. Mm. But I realized I didn't have all my. I didn't have much stuff, but all the stuff I did have was in Vietnam. Was in my locker and you know storage area there. Mm. And I was in uh, Taiwan with a suitcase. And and I started thinking, you know, geez, yeah, I wish I had this. <laughs> I wish I was back there. It was very strange. I thought, what am I saying? <laughs> I wish I was back in the war rather than sitting in a hotel with a prostitute. <laughs> How long were you in Vietnam for? One year. One year. I had it really easy, though. I mean, I, I always tell people I was in Vietnam, but shit, I was in the Air Force. I spent every day in an air-conditioned office working with computers. Okay. So. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It was an yep. interesting year. It was a good year. I'm glad I was there. Hmm. A lot of the vets that I know over here spent time in Australia in their off time. Uh-huh. So um, yeah. I, I know a couple of fellows here and there who are around your age who have quite fond memories of, of Australia, as you say, yeah. um, in, in terms of this off time. Yeah. So yes. yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people were going there. I remember that well. That was one of the choices. <laughs> so why did you opt for why did you opt for Japan and Taiwan? Oh, I, I've had a thing about Oriental culture for a long time. Hmm. I didn't want to go to Australia. That's just like going to the United States. Shit, I wanted to go someplace different. You know. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been a yeah, I've been a I don't know why I or, well I guess it was because of Alan Watts when I was twenty one you know when I had that great awakening mm. uh, and that got me in and he was his tradition at least the one he was selling in that book was Zen and so I was heavily into Zen by that time well, not heavily but newly into it I guess in Oriental culture that's it because I woke up when I was 21 and that was probably a year before I went to Vietnam mm. so I was uh, quite new yeah. and since we last spoke you've befriended Lorenzo Haggerty on Facebook yes and and one of the other guys too um, I don't remember which one it was but Doug Rushkoff or Bruce Damer yeah Bruce Damer Bruce Damer very good very yeah. good have you listened to any of Lorenzo's psychedelic salons? No, I haven't. I, you know, I I never listen to anybody else's stuff. I don't listen to enough. You know, but if you so like Terrence good... McKenna, I mean, if you've already listened to Terrence I know I'll like McKenna. it, but it's just finding the time to do it. You know, I, I, I know you're right. Um, it's there. Uh, listen, I will take this into consideration. I, I guess I should be listening to it. Is there anything in particular that you think I might like, or should I just like? Well, he's got Alan Watts in there as well. I mean, this is what I can't understand. He's basically 
in terms have, of but, your yeah, go ahead. In terms of your descriptive intellectual influences, but you probably already have all this. I probably know more about Alan Watts than he does. I, I, this is another good reason why you two should uh, <laughs> <laughs> should communicate because yeah. yes. I think I think you're you're like-minded souls. That's going in slightly different directions. Well, you know that's what's so much fun, though, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. You I know, guess so. Is that yeah. we can find new thing. You can teach me stuff. I can teach you stuff. It can be great fun. Yeah, the interesting. I mean, the, the idea of applied linguistics. I both grew up around formal linguists. I mean, in terms of actual. I wouldn't academic. even call it. I'd call it clinical linguistics. Mm. I'm sorry, it's just, uh, I, I like... Well, uh, let me describe what they did, and then, then you can define what they did. Um, and so, uh, Aboriginal languages were the big thing in Australia because there were just so many. Yeah. So, these linguists would go and spend two, three, six months of the year out in these Aboriginal townships and learn dying languages yeah. and then come back to, to wherever they were. Yeah. And they were, well, one in particular was quite an eccentric friend of my mother's who I spent quite a bit of time with when my mother left Australia when I was 17, I, I moved in with this linguist friend of hers who's quite well known in the Australian linguistics community still. And I had a close school friend who um, who went on to be a linguist. Um, so I had some connection oh, and okay. went through university yeah. with them as well. But the, the interesting thing about linguistics, it, uh, returning to the, um, the Noble Ape simulation, was that the cognitive simulation in Noble Ape, which is not linguistically based, Originally, there were two options for my development. I could either make a language engine, which I'll talk about a little bit, or use the existing uh, cognitive simulation. And I wrote a language engine when I was in Southeast Asia, uh, quite heroically from our conversation, because uh, when I was 18 at the time, 17, 18, I traveled around Malaysia and into Thailand by myself. And the languages and the transition of languages and also mapping English onto uh, Bahasa and, and Thai it struck me very strongly that these were very distinct languages, but I could still, with really limited uh, limited Thai, it's slightly better Bahasa. I learned Bahasa when I was six, How seven, eight. How many languages can you get by in? I, I can't, well, I can get by on location in French, German, and Bahasa, but I can't Bahasa do Bahasa is from where? Malaysian Indonesian. That's the, okay. it's the Bahasa Malay or Bahasa Indonesian, which is the slightly different dialects. Okay. But um, I can't do it out of context. So, for example, when, my, when we arrived in the UK, I was there for six months prior to my wife arriving. We went to Europe. We went to France. And I can't speak French. I mean, I can kind of understand it. But when I'm actually physically in France ordering a meal or yeah. arguing with someone, it immediately all comes back. And it's exactly the same with Bahasa. I hadn't yeah. spoken Bahasa for 10, ten years, probably, yeah. when I was there. And because I learned it in kind of early or relatively early childhood, it came back to me. But the thing that struck me was that um, I understand what you're, what you're trying to do um, with regards to uh, debugging wild English. Yeah. But uh, the the model that I had for which didn't become the Noble Lake Cognitive Simulation, but could have become the Noble Lake Cognitive Simulation, was in fact about a vastly simplified language. Yeah, and the fact that the 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 problems associated with meaning are usually due to. Do you know about Charles Ogden's Basic English? I think I've I think I've stumbled across it. Across the eight hundred and fifty words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it was a similar kind of idea, but it was more to do with the fact that we 
everything is referential. I mean, in terms of the external representation of, of language and just how to map that into a cognitive simulation. So uh, it was called Lassie, L-A-S-I, the language simplification engine. And it basically related to an idea, very Wittgensteinian, kind of mid-Wittgensteinian idea of uh, language as identity. But I went in a completely different direction with the cognitive simulation. So, I mean, that's my kind of grappling with linguistics and certainly why I'm quite sympathetic to a lot of what you do. (laughs) Although I, I, I think your approach is very interesting. I'm still, from our conversation a week ago, I'm still really quite captivated with this idea of just broadcasting it out with the fact that like-minded folks will just stick on to it. Well, that's my, been my experience. I started out a few years ago, with, and, and I knew nobody I could talk to about this stuff or was even interested. And I've got a couple hundred people in my Skype contacts list now. Most of them I haven't talked to in a long, long time. But they're all people who think this stuff is real interesting and like talking about it. Hmm. You haven't talked to me about your OCD, but you mentioned it in our last conversation. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think in terms of your obsession with regards to uh, to gendo, do you think this Excuse is... Excuse me, some... it's gendo. It's a Gendo, hard sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing it in my mind and, and, and all right. mispronouncing it. Yeah. In, terms of, in terms of that, does that do, you, do you see that as being part of the OCD or working in parallel to it? I'm just, I'm just interested. Oh, I think my, it's my... You mean the linguistic stuff? That is my obsession. Yeah, mm-hmm. and of course, even the term OCD is silly. You know, I mean, exactly. Uh, but but I mean, it, it helped me to think about myself because I mean, I was never. I knew a long time ago I couldn't get married. I'm not smart enough to juggle two worlds. Mm. I can barely deal with supporting myself. <laughs> you know, so mm. given that I didn't have the skills to, you know, I knew and I knew my commitment was. I mean, I was. I needed to answer some questions about language and about who I was and what the world meant and all that kind of stuff. And and that was more important to me than having a family or getting married or anything else. And, and when I look back on that now, I mean, it was a scary decision because at the time it looked to me like I was a choice between becoming, you know, having a family and a home and a life or a lonely old man in a hotel room. Mm. And that was not a, an interesting choice to have to make, but I knew that I could not promise somebody that I was going to spend my life with them, and that you know, and that I was going to do that because I just my heart wasn't in it. I just didn't want to waste my time working on shit that I didn't care about. So it's it's an interesting I, I have a friend who lives in Arizona who has been a game designer for a large portion of his life and worked on interesting and creative games through that period but he has the eternal fear of getting the day job which is ultimately I guess <laughs> what you're kind of describing although I know you have a day job as well although it's only well I only work two days a week yeah exactly. I, don't, I can I can deal with that that's not okay bad. that's so, a good so the, trade-off so, so there's a th- but, the interesting thing, I've, I remember listening to one of your conversations where you talked about your relationships with women, and it's not that you've you've become a monk through this period. It's just that you've decided that you can't get married through this period. Well, it dep- my ideas of this on a lot of these things have changed and are still in the process of changing. And in my concept of marriage is, I'd love to get married, mm-hmm. but I'd never marry anybody I'm fucking. Mm-hmm. You hmm. know, the, 
sex to me is like just one of those crazy fun monkey things. Uh, and it's a completely independent variable, whether I'm attracted to somebody sexually, not even me, whether my monkey is attracted to somebody sexually, or whether mm. I happen to like them or love them. Mm. Th- those two are independent variables. They may coincide. They don't very often, but they may. But uh, the, the, the clue, and it just strikes me that sex is just too too weird to manage you know it's that's what's so fun about it but to make any promises based on that strike me at least for me is i mean i'm just i can't imagine being monogamous you know but that's not got to do with your linguistic passion oh no no this is this is just how i feel about things hmm you know, I mean, I mean, I, I couldn't have articulated any of this stuff before I started studying language, though. That's mm. for sure. <laughs> but so I just knew I couldn't get married. I knew that I couldn't promise somebody that I would always love them and want to make love to them. Mm. I mean, that just that just struck me as clearly. If I was to ever say that to somebody, that would be uh, a lie. I mean, it might happen, but it certainly wouldn't happen because of any act of will on my part, because I promised to do it. Certainly. But that seems to me, I mean, the, the causal argument associated with your passion associated with language seems yeah. to be something that is removed from that. I like the idea of the narrative, which I, I haven't heard through the various guests that you've had have touched on that, and you've touched on it as well. But I like the idea, and particularly because you're so acutely aware of language, you have a very, what I would call a narrative engine, a very strong narrative engine, which is why it's in part so, so much fun to both talk to you and listen to you. Um, but I think the idea... i got to tell you, Tom, most people don't find it fun. <laughs> it's only weirdos like you. <laughs> no, I don't know. I've been using... I mean, I've, in the past, since we last spoke, I've upped my dosage of your podcast substantially to the point where I will listen to it in, in just idle periods. That's yeah. another thing I wanted to talk to you about, yeah. this idea of the constant intellectual mind, because I think that's something which... Um, well, let's return to this idea of the narrative engine, oh, because yeah. the, the idea of the narrative engine is not what just... What do you mean the, by... I'm not sure. You, do okay. you need to, so, are you going to define what you I, mean I'm, by I am. Okay. I am. Okay. So uh, we have a need to tell stories. Some people have mm. a stronger need to tell stories than others, but the way that we tell the stories and the words that we use, for example, when you describe the sun, you use almost exactly the same word structures, whether you're talking to me or one of the... In terms of the whole narrative laid out in terms of your relationship with your son. And similarly with oh, yeah. regards sure, to, yeah. and the the words, the structure, the the whole descriptive thing, in terms of the fact that you have this narrative which is very, very. <laughs> yeah, fixed. I'm telling the same story all the time, and I've exactly. got it all articulated. I exactly. know the whole damn story. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the that's the idea of the narrative engine. Yeah. That basically, ah, okay. yeah. And I think what's fascinating is, that, I mean, my the, the people <laughs> that's that have had a great imp- observation. Thank you. I hadn't really, I hadn't really recognized that. I mean, I do. I mean, the minute you said it, I went, well, of course, you know. But, I mean, uh, that's really good because I slip in. I've got routine. It's like being a professional comic. That's exactly the Stories that I can fall into and repeat almost word for word. Yes, yes. I I have a very strong vein of that as well. But I'm also (laughs) drawn to people like that. For example, I have this this book of uh, fiction, inverted commas, that I'm just finishing up that I wrote when I was 17 and kind of put aside and then have rediscovered. And there's a central character in that who's a very charismatic fellow, the fictional character, the, the fellow himself is, is still 
alive, in fact, a contemporary of mine in terms of age. He has an extraordinarily strong narrative engine to the point where he will gather people. He will start talking to one person and then groups will gather around <laughs> oh, to hear him wow. talk. Wow. But I think the, the ability to frame, and this is, this goes back to your idea of of the the language monkey fundamentally because once once the language monkey becomes i don't know whether it's an, a language noble ape or a scholarly gorilla or something like that there's, there's some motion into into this notion of strong narrative and you certainly have a very strong narrative associated, but it's to do with the construction of reality and this is what interests me in terms of i mean a large portion of what you do in the podcast is to do with psychology as well fundamentally well, it, it, there are all those borders, language and so, how can you separate language from psychology? <laughs> you know, those, well, yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the beauty of language is you can't separate it from physics either. Mm. Language is the underlying factor of all human knowledge. Mm. And without, I mean, language has an impact and is impacted by everything. There's no subject that language doesn't underlie. Or perturb or manipulate or, yes. Well, or, there's all or, sorts of very interesting things that certainly. can go on, yes. Certainly. So the conversation that you had that I've listened to that struck me the most was the fellow who talked about not his experiences in prison. His name is um, C-H-I-B-I? Chibi, yeah. Chibi, yeah. right. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is just a, a handle that yeah, he uses. Yeah, well, I know what his real name is. But yeah. yeah, that's his handle. Yeah. But um, that, whole, that whole narrative associated with paying someone in order to maintain yourself outside of prison and that whole seven years and associated with what he described to, to you at least in terms of kind of a petty theft situation. That yeah. struck me, out of all the conversations that you've had, that one struck me the strongest way perhaps yeah. because, I don't know, I just have an eternal fear like that that there are, there are certain mistakes that people can make that can just really screw them over for oh, long yeah. periods of time. Yeah. Well, I would, a lot of people would say I made one of those mistakes. I mean, I know there are probably, in fact, probably most people would look at my life and think, what a complete failure, mm. you know? And, and I understand exactly why they, why they would think that way. But does that just perpetuate your kind of negative view with regards to a large portion of the world? I mean, isn't that just a discussion that you're having with yourself fundamentally? <laughs> Let me think about that one. Um, well, it certainly is a conversation that I'm having with myself. Whether it's just a conversation I'm having, I'm not sure the just is justified in that sentence. Yes, uh, I, I just think, I mean, when I talk to you, and this has happened on the yeah. three occasions that we've talked, there's been an underlying sense, firstly, yeah, that you... Yeah. Listen, I do <laughs> feel uh, there's a part of me that, that sees, that I really think of myself as a different species than humans. I, I don't feel, I feel like there, I feel as different from humans as I do from my dog. Mm. I love my dog. I'd never abuse my dog. I love scratching his belly and letting <laughs> him lick my forehead. You know, it's great. But I don't discuss politics with him, and uh, all this linguistic shit is way over his head. So I just. What kind of dog is he? Uh, golden Retriever. How old is he? Uh, maybe two years old. Oh, okay. So he's not a wise dog yet. Um. I'm not sure I've ever known a wise dog. Oh, oh. You've I never haven't known. had many dogs in my life, uh, as an adult anyway, so, uh, yeah, I don't... My, my wife had a, an old schnauzer uh, who was 14, 15, uh, passed away a couple of years ago, who she, from, I think she got him when she was about 18. 
Um, and he was definitely a very wise dog. And I knew a dog in Australia that a, a fellow who I was working with, the girl he was dating, had an old um, blue healer. And that was a, that that's a, uh, it's like a sheep dog. It has a shortened nose. Yeah, if you saw a, a picture big dog, of it, though, yeah. no, medium sized, oh. medium sized dog. But, um, and that right. was a very wise dog. How, that do, you, how do you know? The, the eyes, their behavior, their reaction around cats and children, and just a sense that they have seen and experienced mm. enough stuff that they know how to well, behave. Well, this dog has been neutered, for one thing. So yeah. he's got a <laughs> very odd perspective on things. Yeah. And he does like the cat that lives next door that hangs out <laughs> here. And he goes around, with the, hangs out with the cat sometimes. Mm. <laughs> In fact, he had a thing. He's actually, in the last few months, sort of gotten over his infatuation with the cat. I mean, he really was obnoxious with the cat for a while. <laughs> and the cat puts up with him. He, you know, it's, he's a good cat. Yes. Uh, you know, and now he's not. He used to follow the cat all over, and the cat would get annoyed and go back home. And mm. But now he more or less ignores the cat. So, mm. uh, the, so, so returning to this idea of different species. Yeah. Mm. Do you, I mean... Uh, well, let me let me ask this question to you first. Uh, is there anything which makes you feel physically different to another human? Different to see in America we say different from. That's interesting. Different to that's a British thing, or is that Australian or British or both or what? Let's just assume it's a Tom thing for okay. the time. <laughs> no, it, it is definitely a way that I hear all the time, and it always strikes me as interesting because it just doesn't sound right to me. Well, it <laughs> translated to different. Well, yeah, the no, problem is different just, from uh, to me immediately. You see, I'm trying to get a likeness rather than a distancing, and from ah, yeah. so, so, I, so I, listen, I already forgot what the question is. So what's the question do you, do you, again? Do you think that there are, there are physical things that make you different oh, from another? Thing. Human. Uh, no, I think uh, basically my monkey is pretty much like everybody else's monkey. Okay. I think what's different is the way the, ling the language machine functions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see, I, from my perspective, I was born with an extra toe on my foot. I was born with a cleft palate and various other things. Ah. So when I grew up, I felt very, and I also, I don't see in stereo. Uh, I have, but that's, that's a different condition. So I have a but, few But both things. your eyes work. Yes, very much so. It's but in fact in the brain. It's not in the. It's not in the eyes. No, I understand that, but that's an interesting one. I, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> so sometime. it's a very interesting thing. But yes, that is a topic for another. So I, I have, and because I've had, well, I haven't had a lot of surgery in recent life, but up until age about seventeen, I had a lot of surgery. So I do feel physically, and I have a oh, Doug Rushkoff, yeah. the fellow who I mentioned to. Yeah. Uh, he always says to me, you know, you are a different creature. You're not a human yeah, yeah. and in that regard. Yeah. So I do feel different to other humans. Yeah. Uh, and it is something which uh, is not, I mean, but I feel a great kinship with humans as uh -huh. opposed to. So I think ah, the, thing, the yeah. thing that strikes me about what you describe is that you create these very psychological structures about you not caring about a lot of what's going on in the outside world because, and this is the idea of the futurist. Yeah. And the futurist is, for yeah, my that's where my focus is. Where are we going? <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I, it's important to know where we were and how we got here. That's fundamental <laughs> to know. But uh, none of that is a determining factor for where we're going to go as far as I'm concerned. 
But that's the idea of futurism in terms of not being able to predict the next year, two years, three years, four years, but sometime in the future. Yeah. And I think in terms of a mind state, because I, I work with and deal with a lot of futurists, I always have to put that in perspective when I interact with them, that they are not actually about solving immediate problems. They're about describing their own particular vision with regards to the future. Well, yeah, but you don't have to do either or. You can operate in both those arenas. I'm very I think concerned it's very with difficult. real... Well, well, I think it's yeah. difficult to actually have this perception of the future and then construct a reality. I'm, I, I don't want to make it analogous to the shaman in kind of a McKenna and yeah. um, dialogue, but it is very much a disconnection with regards to the now and the present in terms of making a, a, a I don't want to use the term pronouncement, but some extension into the yeah. future. Yeah. See, I don't have, I, to me, uh, I don't see any problem between the now and the future. I mean, they're both domains that I'm intimately concerned with, and mm. it's important to keep them distinct and not get confused between which domain you're operating in. Mm. But uh, I, I, I can't imagine life restricting myself to either one of those. But you don't, well, I mean, from our previous conversations and certainly from what I've heard in the archive, you don't seem particularly concerned with regards to the here and the now in terms of a wide variety of problems that need to be solved in the oh, near future. Yeah, well, if you're talking about, like, the political... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think... I don't remember where I read this idea, but it stuck with me. And the idea was that if you're, if you're about problem-solving mm -hmm. without a vision of the future, then all you end up with is an endless patchwork. You solve this little problem, which creates several other new problems usually, uh, mm -hmm. which then have to be patched. And then there's a problem over here, and you patch that problem, and, uh, and, that, you know, and there's no end to that. Mm -hmm. that, that is an endless process of patchwork, whereas if you have a vision of where you're going, you can make some decisions about some problems that you can say, well, fuck it. That'll take care of itself somehow. And mm. here's a problem that's really worth working on because this is going to further us in the direction of where we're going. Mm. And so to me, the two are indispensable parts of the same process. The thing is, I'm choosing where to put my energy. That's why I'm not, I almost never... Ar I almost never argue with people about any of this stuff. It's a complete waste of time to try and change an adult's mind. No, I agree. I agree entirely, in t particularly in terms of the, the political side of things. But I'm, I, I've always distanced myself from the futurist in terms of making predictive claims about even where I would like to see the future headed, almost in a kind of political sense. Well, I, just, I just go right in there. <laughs> just jump right in. Clearly. <laughs> this has been well defined, Aaron. You, you've, got a, you've got a body of work which identifies this very, very well. But no, I think it is, I mean, certainly the futurists I work with, I always need to put that into perspective. For example, they will never be able to work out how they can get funding to move these things in particular directions. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they typically are, are relying on the potential for um, philanthropic donations into the future yeah, or yeah. have their own quite strange kind of political thing that is going on too internally. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm very aware of the futurist as a kind of archetype. Mm. Um, and I also see, you know, the reason that people are, are drawn. My interest has always been the, the here and now, in particular kind of deconstructing the here and now, but again, not necessarily uh, treading on any political toes. Although that in itself well, can be if quite. Toes cool. need to be stomped. Then that's they exactly the point stomped. I was going to make. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that in itself is always very interesting. But um, 
I, I guess, I mean, you, you're familiar with my stuff associated with Noble Ape. I've not forwarded you any of my um, writing no, associated. I'm really not, not, listen, I'm not really, I, I looked at it 10 years <laughs> ago and thought it was real interesting and ran it a couple times and couldn't figure out what the hell I was supposed to do with it and, and moved on. But I noted <laughs> that I liked the idea and I've always Great. sort of followed it. You know, uh, when new releases show up on on uh, the websites, uh, you know, that show new releases of software, I always noted, ah, there's a new copy of Noble Very good. Ape. Very good. But that's, Very good. you can account, that that's basically, I know nothing about Noble Ape. Okay. But aside from Noble Ape, I also have this writing thing, which I do, which relates, as uh, we described last time we talked with this, idea of vastly complex systems and what that actually means. So what you describe as the matrix, basically. But the the matrix is something which is probably uh, beyond really human intelligibility. And how do we actually well, come no, to grips? To me, with the that? matrix is what we're doing right now. It, I mean, mm, yes, it, the but we deconstructed that, allows... that last time we spoke, and we yeah. we identified that what we're doing right now is actually a hybridization between Squish and the matrix. That the matrix, in terms of uh, what, what we are doing on a human sense, even though there's benefit of us seeing each other and the whole alpha male thing, I appreciate yeah. all of that. But it's a notion that basically what we are doing is really the. Um, the, the kind of human chirping into the matrix. Yeah, but see, that's exactly... The... Yeah, see, I, I see it differently than that. I, I see that if you and I were sitting at Starbucks at the same table, this conversation well, wouldn't be anywhere near as good as it is here. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I'm this. wrong. Maybe And maybe I'd make it that way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'd make it that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but my sense is there's a kind of freedom here in the matrix without mm. all the interfering mammalian bullshit. Mm. That, that, oh, I agree. that I agree. It just makes this superior to squish for Certainly. for what we're doing right now. That we, mm. co- I don't think we could do this at Starbucks. I wouldn't mm. be this animated. I wouldn't be yelling like I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wouldn't have a cat at my feet if we we're in Starbucks. <laughs> it just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't. True. True. But uh, I guess I guess then yeah, I, I'll probably need to forward you some of my writing to give you a Please. sense of that. yeah, I'd love uh, to. Uh, but um, so I, in addition to my life, I also have this, this sideline of basically the philosophical understanding of the stuff that we've created in terms of the Internet, vastly complex systems, the legal system, the financial system, all these things that we create but never really understand. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's an interest of mine as well, which I think might map onto some of the stuff that we've discussed. Oh, I think so, too. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, that's. That's stuff that I'm into. And we do that all with language. Mm. Well, certainly my latest stuff, and I'm not trying to, I'm trying to think if you had, really, I think our last conversation, I was at the point of submitting and I had already put in the Wittgenstein stuff in the most recent chapter in terms of the origin of structure and the origin of life, which deconstructs a lot of these things into how we can use um, and understand, well, firstly, how we fundamentally don't even understand biological systems (laughs) and how we reconstruct our our knowledge based on very, very simple elements. So I guess... Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of things that we could probably discuss in the future, but I also want to pass you this work of fiction because I think the narrative elements you might really enjoy as well. But the way I work, we've talked about this a bit, but the way I work is really in terms of kind of after-hours time slices that I allocate myself a certain amount of writing time and then I do a wide variety of other things. In terms of my wife, we've, we've touched on this a little bit, She's a woman who has a lot of external hobbies as well, and that's been very beneficial. When I first met her 
it was a quality that I thought was really required and for the kind of life. She had her own life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she was self-sufficient and she wasn't yeah, bored. She yeah, wasn't constantly yeah. wanting to be amused, which is basically yeah, yeah. the kind of relationship. <laughs> That's difficult, man. Yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. When you find one of those, you marry them. Oh, that yeah, and from my perspective, yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly because I knew that uh, I've done what I do with Noble Lape. I didn't really do it professionally when I was in the Bay Area, but it was certainly more professionally oriented to what I did in the Bay Area than what I do now. So uh, I've always had a sense that I need a large portion of after-hours time to do writing, to develop Noble Ape, to do the stuff that I do with the yeah. Biota podcast and these kind of yeah. things. And I've never seen the need of it being... Because it. I guess we exist in so many different personas. Even within Squish, I think we exist as different people. Oh, yeah. In, in different. Yeah. So to kind of deconstruct Squish even more... What I'm trying to do in the long term is get a greater coherent sense of Squish uh, in terms of, you know, the writing and, and Noble Ape and all these components. But I think there are there are certainly shared elements. And the fellow who talked about prison in particular just hit a, a very familiar emotion to me that I kind of thought about, my I guess, my time in Australia. And ultimately, I, I equate any kind of formal education to the prison system, or well, that was certainly the experience that I had growing up. Um, and it was almost like an education about why one shouldn't go to the prison system, that basically one's life could continue into the prison system and be in the same kind of control. The whole narrative associated with you're a criminal, mm. which we really got very heavily, or certainly I felt very heavily in this Australian school system. Really? And, you know, just really strange narratives which were so... You mean because and, of the history of, of... No, because of the notion that there's, there are, there's an idea of the underdog in Australia which is really strong. Uh -huh. We talked a little bit about compulsory voting, but there are all these kind of psychological elements about what makes you a good Australian, which is completely removed from anything that I uh, fundamentally believe in. Uh -huh. If I had stayed in Australia, you get put in prison if you don't vote in Australia. <laughs> So you get fined or you get put in – it's just completely insane. And I, I, I refuse well, to vote. And, but, but wait a minute. And, so, and most Australians think that's just fine? Well, that's the nature of being forced to do something. I mean, if you were forced to slap people in the face and if you didn't, you were going to be sent to jail, you would start creating all these kind of psychological would. things about how slapping people in the face is perfectly good okay. Just what they needed. They were exactly. looking a little pale there. You know? And similarly, yeah. if someone slapped you in the face, I mean, Thanks, so... I needed that. Yeah, I think the... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think the... the and this exists everywhere. I mean, my yeah, wife... Yeah, I guess it's just a different subset of, of insanity. So, I mean, she, she had... Exa exactly. So... I guess that was my yeah. So it really touched on a number of points of my own, um, and I found that fascinating. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that one again, particularly the whole narrative of hopelessness, the sense that this is just the way the world is, and you know, yeah, the, that's, well, that's standard American, I think, yeah. uh, and, and probably more. I mean, I really don't have much experience. I mean, outside of America, so I can't mm. say, but I suspect most people in the world sort of think they're powerless. Mm. You know, that we, it's, the systems are just too big. There's just really nothing I can do, uh, you know. Mm. Is that the way you feel? No, not at all. No, neither do I. Neither do I. The world, Margaret Mead, one of my favorite quotes, is never doubt that a small group of thoughtful and committed <laughs> citizens can change the world. It's mm. the only thing that ever has. Yes. You know? 
Yeah. It's a group of people who choose themselves, who are pissed off and want to change something. And then they, if they're lucky, they can get other people involved. But it's, you know, it's individuals. It's you and me. That's how the world changes. Mm. Mm. So the financial game, I was thinking about this recently, particularly from your narrative of working two days a week and living in a room and how you've completely removed yourself from the kind of financial game that, that so many of us, I guess, find ourselves in either explicitly or implicitly. Well, I'm still in the game. I'm just playing it by slightly different rules. <laughs> yes. I knew people in the UK that only worked a couple of days a week and then spent the remainder of their time working on what they felt passionately about, and I yeah. think that's that's probably a really good ratio. It would be even better if I had a whole bunch of money, though. And see, I'm still <laughs> working on that. Yes. I, actually, I think my ESL thing uh, could fund all anything else I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so I mean, I haven't given up on any of that stuff. I still, I mean, I would love to have lots of money. That'd be great. I'm just not willing to do anything to get it that I yes. wouldn't do anyway. Yes. Yeah, there's so much of that is based on luck. I mean, when I lived in the Bay Area, I wasn't surrounded by it, but I had a number of contacts that were multimillionaires. Yeah. And these were people that I would, 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 with, yeah. would have meals with, was quite close with. Yeah. And the thing that struck me out of them was that they almost all, luck was a, was a central theme in all oh, their lives, yeah. but then actually maintaining their money usually required a degree of deviousness yeah. or, you know, yeah. and it was, it was something that really struck me was that I really didn't want to have a lot of money. Having spent well, I'd five, love to have a lot of money. I just uh, don't see, want to be concerned with it. That's all. That's the full world. Well, you see, then the flies turn up. I mean, then the people who are just around you because of the money and those no, kind but of things. There aren't, but there aren't any, there isn't anybody around me now. I don't need most people. I need a couple people in my life. I need people like you that I can actually talk to who actually understand what the hell I'm talking about and are actually doing things themselves. The vast majority of people are irrelevant to me. Hmm. The problem with money in this country in particular is that you need to do things like construct trust funds, work yeah, out... Yeah, you can hire acts. people to take care of it. If you got money, you just pay people to do that shit. Then they be- but then they become part of your inner circle, and then they start... I mean, well, this is the... Yeah, well, there people are problems, you're right. In- you're right, there are problems. But the problems <laughs> of having no money are getting boring. Those would be more interesting problems. That's always, that's always the claim. That's the claim that I return to as well, that basically the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, then if you want to, you know, do what Wittgenstein did, give it all away, (laughs) you know? I I have strong, I mean, I've done that in the past. I've I've given away all my possessions at various times in my life, and I think there's certainly a lot of, although now I'm married, I think that's probably less less possible. Um, (laughs) But no, I guess... The thing I always reflect on is that uh, I have a I have a room downstairs that has a lot of space in it, and I just sit up and lie and, and stare at the ceiling. It's a yeah. high ceiling room, and I just think, this is this is it. You know, yeah. this is the ether. This is it will create what you want out of it. Yeah. Um, and no, I think it's a it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing the money game, because well, I, I yeah. sorry, ahead. continue. Well, no, go ahead. I, I just don't. I see that uh, the people I know who've gotten heavily involved with it, with regards to funding their work and all these kind of things, and finding at the end of the day, put in far less effort in their work than I'm able to do after hours. Oh yeah, I know. I, yeah, if you're if you're doing things for the sole purpose of managing or making money, 
mm. then you're wasting your time as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But the translation, I mean, when I was in the Bay Area, I was told sporadically that what I needed to do was incorporate stuff that I was doing in Noble Life and get in venture capitalists and make it all happen absolutely <laughs> yeah. now and make it real yeah. and it was going to be wonderful. Yeah, and right. I, I think there, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and moreover, the people fine, I know... And that's who, when you say, fine, you do that. I'll give you a part of the business. <laughs> you know? But that's no, that's that's the beginning of the end. Well, that's the thing that's is you got to you got to find someone that you can actually trust, and of course, I've, <laughs> that's why I've never gone into business with anybody that's because exactly. uh, human yeah. beings uh, don't do what they say they're going to do. Uh, and moreover, I mean, I think it's funny. I have a fellow in the UK currently who's contributing a lot of new stuff into Noble Ape, a lot of really phenomenal stuff. There is one thing that he's added that I don't particularly like, and I've given, <laughs> I've given, uh, and he's done amazing stuff. And this is a difficulty when, particularly in a yeah. kind of gift. Yeah. culture, yeah. is that you've got to find a way is, to describe yeah. <laughs> I like everything you've done, but just this one little thing. sucks, and I'm taking it out. Live with it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've done a bit of a kind of social dance around that thing, and really I've come to it through, I mean, the nature of these things is you've got to run them for long periods of time and look at various interactions. Yeah. So I've been able to explain to him and actually turn him around that he could do something that was a lot more wonderful, a lot more beautiful if yeah. he removed this one element. But it's an interesting thing because it uh, is, uh, yeah. it's a very different culture to the, yeah. you know, I'm funded, I'm the boss. Well, I've but, had a, a similar problem recently. Well, not, not as sticky as that, but uh, that podcast 358 mm. uh, about the five stupidities, I was talking about, you know, somebody wanted it in print. And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to take the time to transcribe <laughs> it. Well, one of my listeners listened to it and transcribed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sent it to me and said, "Here you go, <laughs> here it is," you know. And now I'm really obliged. I mean, and so and I started to edit it because I mean, clearly you can't. You've you know the way I talk. The sentence I just uttered can't be put in print that way. If you're going to put something in print, it has to be essentially rewritten. Yeah. And so now <laughs> I feel the onus to re to do this thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can I give some? You need to do the five stupidities in five minutes. You need to explain the five stupidities concisely in five oh. minutes. Put that out as the as the idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mean because, uh, in an audio form or written? Exactly. Form? In audio form to start off with. Okay. Just to yeah. You're right. Point. That's a. You're right. You're right. Because, that's a. Gr- hold on. Let me. I need to write this down because if I don't write <laughs> things down, that's the end of them. Yeah. Okay. So I need a five minute. Five stupidities. You're right. That's you're right. That's exactly what I need. Because I I've listened to that podcast and I the the, the story of the father and the son and the car wreck. Yeah. There are, I found four what I believe to be linguistic errors through that story. Really? The father and oh, I can't can wait to specific, hear it. The father and the son can be. You don't specify specifically that the father and the son are related, which is an old trick. No, I know that, but yeah, of course I didn't do that because then it would sound. Can you do that in natural language? No, I, no. In fact, I think I said um, a man and his son. If I'm, it, I believe uh, that's what I say. I need to read. I need to listen. I should. I need to read the transcript clearly. <laughs> I believe was, it's because that's the way it's written, and that's the way. I mean, I know that story works. Uh, the narrative word. engine. Your narrative engine is good. I'll trust okay, your well, narrative. Okay, so, right, so that's one of them. But I think okay. we've put that okay. way. What are the other ones? So now you're putting me on the spot. Now you're putting me on the spot. I really want to hear them. If you don't want to do it now, it's okay. But I, if if there are some problems with that, I really need to hear them. The word, the, the word, the use of 
A and C, which I think you're sensitive to as well. Yeah. I found that there was a catch with regards to that. The implicit assumption with regards to the gender, there are other relationships. There are a series of these that I've read previously, which is probably the background to coming to this. So as soon as I heard that, my mind went back to ones that I'd heard previously, which related to other stupidities aside from, from just gender perceptions associated with yeah. A and B. And re... re um, no, I said gender perceptions. I know, I know but it's uh, gen, though. No, ge- as in male, female. Oh, gender. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Anyway. Oh, good. You're putting me on the spot. So I've given you two. Let me think of the wait, other wait, two. Wait, wait, wait. What was the other one? Oh, it means something about the word the, but you're not giving me the specific sentence. I, I can't recall. Yeah. You've really put me on the spot there. But I think in that, by that point, when you got to describing it, yeah. I think if you're familiar with these kind of linguistic um What's follies? Maybe that's the right yeah, term. Whatever. Yeah. whatever. Rhythms, then you're yeah. you're very sensitive as you set it up to being aware of. And I think that's the problem with with the. You can do narrative um, in terms of descriptive narrative to explain ideas in a very tight fashion, which works. And I guess my concern with that podcast is that you, as the listener, you play Tom from England uh, in terms of his interaction, and you're really more interacting with him than you are interacting with your material. Um, well, that was so, the truth of it was a conversation. He, that's exactly yeah, the point. that's what it is. However, so you I, can yeah. construct conversations which are, I think it's the playful aspect in your role, which makes it, from my perspective anyway, I would much rather have the five stupidities in five minutes or in, in terms of just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. This is the information no, that, that, I need. Yeah. Let me take that away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although, having said that, you've had, a, I mean, your your archive since that time uh, has, what, roughly probably a third, if not maybe closer to a half of the listeners are directly responding to that particular chunk. Yeah. So maybe that's your own self-selection as well. Well, not, you, know, it's, it's, it, you know, I should put that at the, at the end of that particular podcast as a five-minute summary of it. I put that independently to that. Well, independently need, too. Okay. Yeah. You, you need yeah. something which you could just say just because previously, yeah, yeah, previously it's go and listen to this hour and a yeah. half that has all this other stuff going on yeah. in order you're to right. get. No, no, you know, you're just so right, and that's it's relatively easy to do. You know, mm-hmm. that that wouldn't be that big a, diff, a, a problem. So, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm really glad you suggested that. Yeah. I, I don't like to be an advocate for summarization necessarily, but I think it is very powerful. Well, it's a good place guess. to start, you know. If yeah, exactly. someone wants it quick and dirty, you know, yeah. here it is, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, no, the transcription thing is very interesting, and particularly going to, I... Oh, it's painful to, to read it. Very much. Oh, very it's much. awful. And it's taken me... Uh, well, when it's... He, I've had the transcription for more than a month, and I've trans and I've cleaned up twenty six minutes of it. <laughs> so far. I have exactly the same problem. Every time I get a transcription, it's just painful for me to go uh, back. And you have you have to do it in minutia. You need to oh, yeah, slow. The you have to down. rewrite the whole thing. I have to go back and listen to it and say, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> Yeah. And it turns oh, yeah. out a whole paragraph and a half boils down to nothing more than a single sentence. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's We're not very that. efficient. Those, no, those no. language monkeys. But it sure we? is fun. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But anyway, Aaron, I think we've covered a lot of topics this evening. I've gone through my oh, the only the only remaining topic that we haven't discussed that I was interested in was this idea of chat lines that you had with of what um, of the, you talk about. Um, 
was it Skypecast? Was that what it was called? The yeah. technology that yeah, you used right. originally? And the fact that people were using it almost like a chat line of old, basically, in terms of just conversing about a wide variety of topics and the movement of this setting up a room and just inviting people through and having conversations into something that was a formal podcast. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a formal podcast. I mean, uh, I didn't start off with that in mind. I didn't even so, record them for quite a while. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I did begin recording them early. But uh, but was that for personal uh, consumption versus well, tradition? I'm not quite sure, actually. It just seemed like a good idea, <laughs> you know. And and after a while, I mean, because I was having so much fun. I had some, like I said, I've got 1,700 hours of, <laughs> of recordings I haven't even listened to from the <laughs> Skypecast days. And my memories of Skypecast are, are among my fondest because... I met such a wide variety of people from all over the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just it was it was just amazing the people I ran into, and some of those conversations were, you know, really good. <laughs> so, Certainly. So just doing the math, seventeen hundred hours is about four, four. What is it? It's two daylight years with recordings. I'm sorry, say it again. 1,700 hours yeah. is, if you're working eight hours a day, it's roughly two years. Oh, I don't with, know how many it with, is. I was on Skypecast all the time mm-hmm. uh, because, again, I don't work much. Mm-hmm. And the way, I ran the, see, the way I ran the room is uh, I used to start off the room and I, with my standard opening, this ain't talk radio and I'm not here to entertain you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And what I would do is open up a room, and, and I would tell him, if you want to talk to me, send me a text message and prove to me you're not an idiot. <laughs> you know? I mean, that was basically uh, what I, I mean, I didn't do that in the beginning. In the beginning, it was quite different. But uh, once Skypecast got popular, I mean, I was getting hundreds of people through a mm. room, and most of them were idiots. Mm. So, and it was just a waste of time to sit there and babysit a bunch of fucking idiots when I could be writing or reading or you know, watching a movie or doing... This is my point about the chat line phenomenon. Yeah. That it started out in that way. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a room. It was basically a room that I opened to put a sign on and said, come on in, and if you can get my attention and say something interesting enough, uh, we'll talk. And so most of the time, I mean, like I say, I would put in a, and I'd leave the room open for eight or nine hours. I'd be here all day, and the room would just be open. And, you know, and I'd do that every day. And over a period of a week, I'd have one or two or three sometimes really good conversations. Mm. And uh, the rest of the people. And it was really strange because people started coming and just I'd I'd have 30, 40 people in there and nobody was talking. There was Mm. nothing for anybody to do. (laughs) But they knew that occasionally there was some really interesting uh, conversations that went on there. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and that's what happened. A few times a week, uh, there would be somebody really interesting come in, and we'd have great conversations. And, and like I say, I recorded them, and then I I didn't do anything with the recordings, but it wasn't until I got on TalkShoe uh, that there was an easy way to make them available, because I was I just had these recordings, and there was nothing I could do with them. But with TalkShoe, you know, the stuff goes out to the world, and it goes to iTunes. So... Do you think you'll ever release the 1,700 hours, or is this just going to be a returning talking point? Uh, I have I have no idea. I, I can't imagine how much time it would take. I mean, if someone else, 
Actually, uh, one guy was listening. I sent the, those files to a friend of mine, and he actually listened to a bunch of them and, mm-hmm. uh, and gave me cues on which ones he thought were really good. <laughs> and that helped because then I yes. could at least go to, you know, I had like six different ones that mm-hmm. he said are good. So I, I, I had a pretty good idea that it wouldn't be a waste of time to listen to them. And, and you right. put them back in your talk shoe feed. There yeah, are they some, are. They're the ones yeah. that say yeah. archive. Those yeah, are I, the old, I listen yeah, to those. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah so uh, if somebody was to do that, yeah, maybe the 1,700 hours will. But if it's up to me to sit down and go through 1,700 hours, that ain't going to happen. Mm. <laughs> So in what? So in meaningful realm, how does the seventeen hundred hours exist? Just that you had the the wherewithal to record it, and it exists in some sense. And this was like your audition, basically, to what you do currently, or no, is it? it a was, con- no, it was just something I did. I had no idea that of, of anything about what I was what I was going to do with it. I just knew they were really interesting, and hmm. that I've sort of got for the same reason that I kept fourteen thousand pages of journal notes. You know, I have, but they also contain. I keep journal notes, and they don't have any shopping lists in them. No, but mine do. That's exactly my point. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think maybe I don't know. I mean, certainly some of my journal notes I would never consider publishing. A lot of them I would consider publishing, though. Well, I publish anything in mine. There's nothing in there that I, I don't give a. Sh- That's the thing is, I really don't care about personal stuff. Mm. You know, and if it's really deep, dark stuff, I just don't talk about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's real simple. Anything mm. I'm brave enough to talk about goes out. Mm. Well, Heron, once again, you've left me with a lot of food for thought. I'm going to have to listen to more of your archive. Well, and likewise, you've done the same for me, Tom. I really appreciate the, 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 uh, the conversations, and I look forward uh, to... Uh, has it been a week since we talked last? It's been a week since we last talked. It was, what, on Tuesday evening last week? I'm thinking week? it was Tuesday evening. It could have been Monday. That whole okay. week's just disappeared well, for me. But you know, like that, I have a very, since I don't respond well to most humans, you know, I mean, I'm available most of the time. So, And if I'm busy, I'll let you know. Mm. Yeah, uh, no. Next week, I'm going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. I'm going to be doing two talks. So we won't be able to reconvene this next week, but maybe the week following I can give you an update. Well, yeah, I'd love to well, I'd love to talk to you anytime you, you've got anything on your mind you want to talk about. So um, I'm here. Terrific, terrific. Well, I'll pass you. I mean, I'm recording the talks that I give in the uh, Bay Area. Yeah, uh, okay. So I'll pass you that audio. And similarly, I mean, I, I have... You were going to send me uh, some of your writing, certainly. your fiction, and uh, well, I'll take no, it. No, you I, got all in PDF form, I assume, right? Uh, the fiction stuff I'm not releasing to anyone in PDF. I'm only releasing... Oh, okay. oh, I'll do send you a physical book okay. of that. Okay, whatever, um, you, listen, whatever you want to send me, send it to me. I'll take it. Terrific. <laughs> and similarly, like, I, I have an archive work of, worth of work as well. So, I mean, to, although you don't listen to audio, these kind of things, I do appreciate that. But it, it, for folks who are listening in who are interested in maybe some of the eclectic stuff that I talk about, I have an archive, a few archives. That's right, this is going to get posted. Yeah, give us, give us your word, man. What's there? So, um, well, and we a, are talking to Tom Barbelay. Am I saying that correctly? You're saying that perfectly. He spells it Barbelet, though. <laughs> and, and moreover, I. I do you have a Wikipedia entry? No, I don't believe I do. Ah, you don't believe you do. Fans of Heron's work 
get together and create a Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Oh, cool. Yeah. Populate it with all the eclectic stuff that we've discussed, all the stuff that I probably missed. It'll be full you know? of footnotes about problems <laughs> with the article. That'll be great. Make it so, controversial. Yes. yes. Because that's the that's one of the um, small pleasures <laughs> that I've had in podcasting is okay, it's seeing my Wikipedia article turn up. Well, I seeing saw your, many... your little bio on your thing where you say that it's eighty percent correct, and you're quite happy with that. No, that's that the sounds wonderful about thing. right. You know, eighty yeah. percent. Yeah, it was sixty percent. It moved to eighty percent. I mean, no. So <laughs> you can find me on Wikipedia from the Wikipedia link. You can get all the sources of audio. I have. Um, a, a podcast which is specifically associated with Noble Ape, which is on iTunes, actually, in philosophy. So that gets more traffic than the Biota podcast that I talk about more. But the Biota podcast is very similar to the kind of conversations that I have with you, Aaron, but it's with people who develop computer simulations yeah. and, you know, or, um, you know, yeah, it's out there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, they're, they're, well, a good portion of them were friends with Terence McKenna and move in that direction too. So they're not, they're not all pocket protector computer nerd type. <laughs> put that out there to your listening audience. That to, does make a difference. That's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. But I think um, KMO is another interesting fellow. If you can, I'll try to arrange an introduction because the stuff that he's done, I think, uh, probably have a number of linking you know ideas. That would be fun. You know, normally I really. I'm, I'm obsessive about only doing one-on-ones. I hate it. I mean, once in a while, I'll, I'll have more than one mic open. But that's because I'm usually I'm talking with humans. Mm-hmm. And if you ever thought it would be useful for a group of us to get together and talk, if you think that could work. Are you familiar with the trialogue format that Terence McKenna, Ralph Abraham, and Rupert Sheldrake did? No. So... Rupert Sheldrake was... Is, is, I know he's still who he is, yeah. and, um, Ralph Abraham, do you know who he is? Uh, he's a drug researcher or something. No, he's, he? a chaos, he's a chaos mathematician. Chaos. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So, uh, so he, Terence McKenna, and, uh, and Rupert Sheldrake got together, and they recorded over, I think, a nine-year period what they describe as the trialogues, which was a series yeah. of discussions that they had. I'm not sure if you've heard any of that. Is that available? Lorenzo Hegarty's podcast, The Psychedelic Salon, is the place to get those. Oh, and they're so, there. Okay, okay. Downloadable audio, okay. a lot of them. Wait, wait, I need to write this down. So this uh, is... Um, Matrixmasters.com. Okay, I gave yeah. you the reference Yeah, last yeah, time. I got it. I just wanted to remember which one yeah. it is. And uh, this is, Lorenzo this is called Trilogs, T-R-I-L-O-G-S? Or- T-R-I-A... Uh, try uh, L O G U E S yeah, perhaps trial trial, trial yes. like in trial okay and it was with McKenna and <laughs> well it's uh, like dialogues except it's yeah, got a T R I yeah got it. yeah I yeah. got it okay okay and it's Abraham or Abrams or what's his name Ralph Abrahams I think uh, A B R A H A M S perhaps yeah whatever okay Sheldrake and, and Sheldrake okay yeah yeah. Right. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll definitely. That got to be an interesting. I know I didn't even know about those. Oh no! Well, Aaron, you, you're onto a new thing, and you're going to be devoting a lot of time to listening to those. But I like that format. Yeah. My only concern with it is it's very. They formalize it very tightly in terms of the each having. Uh, I, I guess they worked. It was. It well, was they a worked sol- it out for them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But the, you can see that one of them is, is gives an introduction, and it's it's a bit formalized yeah. in that regard. But they don't acknowledge any yeah. of that. Yeah. And they you know, I'm thinking you have given a, 
because you came here with some questions or some topics, you have really given this conversation a form that, that I wouldn't have given it, <laughs> you know. And I, you know, I'm thinking these discussions that you and I, at least I'm, I haven't gotten any feedback from any other people, but I don't really care <laughs> whether I get any feedback yeah. from any other people. I really enjoy our conversation. Certainly. And Certainly. Like if we could there. make them uh, a semi regular event, and mm-hmm. I'm perfectly willing to allow you to set the agenda for, mm-hmm. for these things if you find that comfortable. I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. And I think you have a, um, a sufficiently rich archive in order to allow me to do that for probably at least four more of these kind of <laughs> conversations. And then, then it will just regress well, into... Well, it'll go uh, wherever, it'll be whatever it so, is, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. also what I'm going to do is point uh, Lorenzo Haggerty and a few of the other people that we've mentioned to these discussions with the view... For example, Lorenzo, I've always wanted him to do an open mic format show, yeah. like what we're doing here. Yeah. And I've tried to introduce him to talk show and he says, well, I just don't have the time, you know, yeah. these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I think we can we can probably work in other people too. My only concern is, I mean, with Biota in particular, initially it was a very formal interviewing structure and then I started giving more of myself in the general discussion. But my my own... The way I would do this kind of thing would be to take a more take, uh, backseat uh, component to let you and whoever else was in there kind of play off each other and then put in yeah. little elements just to keep it fresh, which is the way that I've normally done are it. You, are you? Well, you're skilled at this. You've done this kind of stuff before, mm-hmm. apparently. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, for four and a bit years with the biota yeah. um, okay. so, side of things. Yeah, so. see, I, yeah, that's nothing I've done before. So yeah, you you would be the man to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the I like the semi formality, but I also like the element of actually being able. I mean, for example, in the past two discussions. I've talked about things that I've never talked about, aside from you know my wife and other close people. But I yeah. like the format of your your show in that regard too. So um, let me point uh, a few people to these talks with the view that they may be interested in participating in oh, future ones. Maybe oh yeah, that would be cool. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's certainly I similarly uh, more on Facebook than on Skype, but I have a large. Uh, group of um, similarly eclectic uh, intellectual uh, and generally eccentric folk who I'm sure would be able to participate in these things and probably set us both spinning in different directions. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. (laughs) So let me do a little investigation here. Like I said, I'm going to be away next week, but I'll work on it for the week following and we'll stay in contact via via all means necessary. Yeah, and uh, send me everything you've got. Will do. Okay. Will do. All right. Well, Tom. you take care for the next two weeks, and, okay. and we'll talk. Good night. Following. Good night.